Coming to you from the HagmanReport.com studio. Located in the Keystone State, birthplace of a mighty nation, it's your host, Doug Hagman. Welcome to Hagman. It's the Hagman Report, where truth can't be silenced. We're not going to be silenced. Websites to the truth include HagmanReportLive.com. That's where you can find audio video, HagmanReport.com. Go there for contributors' articles. By the way, Peter Barry Chowka submitted a couple of articles over the last week. you got to you got to take a look at those articles. Fantastic, fantastic. Have a great show lined up for you today, stacked and packed. As I said, stacked and packed. Um, a couple of things. Uh, the as the left, as the um, as the uh, Nazi left, and that's my term, Nazi left, as they uh, as their narrative falls apart, uh, and as Clinton is, takes the stage for reasons that I'm sure will become clear shortly um, in the days ahead. Alex Jones rolls into Austin, Texas, where Clinton was in, in an armored vehicle, much like he did in Dallas. We're seeing the, um, what we're seeing, I believe, are the more overt, more, um, the obvious, the more obvious breaks in civility. And it's not coming from the right, it's coming from the left. If you watch the people on the left, you, you, you can see the hatred that these people have, not just for President Donald Trump, not just for the left or the uh, uh, conservative side, but for all of you listening and viewing this program. I'm going to tell you right now, it's only going to get worse. So prepare. We need to prepare ourselves for the eventuality of the things that are to come. Before we get started, I want to thank my sponsors, including ZipRecruiter.com, folks. If you haven't heard of of, of Cafe Altura, I, my goodness, Dylan Miskowitz is a real Zip Recruiter customer. What a wonderful story he's got! He used Zip Recruiter to hire for his company again, Cafe Altura, and uh, he, he was his story is unbelievable. You know, folks, anyone who owns a business, hiring can be a very slow process. Now, Cafe Altura's Chief Operating Officer Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director for coffee or of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified uh, candidates, applicants. Well, he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you; it finds them for you. It's technology. This is fantastic. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get a qualified candidate or candidates very quickly. Well, Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly it great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter, ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how he found his new director of coffee in just a few days. Now with Results like that. It's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter gets get a, quali- a quality candidate within the first day. It works. It really, really works. ZipRecruiter.com. 
Okay, ZipRecruiter.com. You guys see why ZipRecruiter is effective? Is so effective for business of all sizes. You can try ZipRecruiter for free. This is what we worked out, or they worked out with us. We worked out with them at this address. Pay attention now. Ready? Write this down. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. That's H-A-G-M-A-N-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. Please try them out. If you, if you own a business and you're looking for quality candidates, that's the only place I would recommend. And I mean that. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. But there's so much going on right now. It, it is, um, it, it's difficult to decipher. And if you are like me, and I think we are all much alike, we look at the mainstream media as the antithesis of the truth, don't we? We look at the the new media, the alternative media, as the beacon of truth. But then you look at the various uh, branches or, or various entities in the new media, and you see discord and you, and you see differing information. You see hyperbole. You see overstatements. You see understatements. So who do you listen to? It takes some discernment, doesn't it? One guy I listen to is a gentleman by the name of John Moore, thelibertyman.com. I listen to him. John's got a wonderful history. I mean, just a, a, a wonderful history. He's an investigator, a detective. He, um, he knows the truth. He knows how to ferret out the truth. There's this website. If you're looking at this, if you're watching this at home, there's this website right there, thelibertyman.com. It'll be in the link in the program description box on hagmanreportlive.com. One of the articles there, I suggest you check it out. It, um, in my view, is perhaps one of the most important uh, articles you can uh, you can. Uh, you can look at, or you can have, you can read. It's uh, in red. It says, please download and read immediately. John Moore's memorandum on the possible coming second American Civil War. Check that out. Read it, download it, do what he says. Again, the website, thelibertyman.com. John, how are you, sir? Good to be here. Thank you, Doug. It's good to have you. You've got your own radio show that airs in, in the mornings, um, Monday through Friday, on the Republic Broadcasting Network. If uh, actually everything is available by way of uh, thelibertyman.com, if you go there, you can uh, catch uh, John's show live and by archive. Uh, it's all there. So um, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, John. Um, so much to talk about. I know we had discussed off air a couple of things. I'm going to let you lead off as to what you'd like to like to lead off with. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And uh, I normally do radio, not TV. So the microphone being in front of my face is not an issue on radio. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's TV. So we'll do the we'll do the TV thing. Uh, the public discourse at the national level is off the charts crazy. Um, 
We have uh, elected officials, including the President of the United States, making a reference to possible civil disorder. And I think people need to pay heed and pay attention to that possibility and prepare accordingly, or as, as I might say, make prudent preparations. I'm not suggesting that people uh, throw the wife and kids in a minivan, head off to the National Forest. I, I suggest that people stay informed and make prudent preparations in the form of acquiring skills, first of all. That would be uh, first aid and CPR skills, uh, ham radio skills. Uh, obviously, people would need food and water, and being away from a congested urban suburban area during any nationwide civil disorder would really be a wise thing. Uh, avoiding conflict is a lot better than being in conflict. Now, it's going to mean different things for different people, Doug. And um, uh, if you have a, a relative, uh, a blood relative, or uh, someone you're very close to that would take you in temporarily during civil disorder, I would make those arrangements now so you don't have to be doing it at the last moment and surprise somebody uh, who isn't really expecting you. Uh, hopefully these things won't happen. Doug, I would rather watch my grandson play football than deal with civil disorder. But when you have people from the White House on down making these kinds of alerts, I think it's time to pay attention. What do you think, sir? You know, what you just said there, uh, yes, I, I agree with that. And I also... When you when you talk about normal life, watching your your grandson play football, watching fam, family members, watching grandchildren grow up, whatever it might be, you know, contrast that to the Red Dawn scenario, uh, or or maybe that's even an overstatement. Contrast contrast that normal lifestyle to a one of civil disobedience or or what's taking place for example in venezuela you know you don't want no one wants that but you're correct and i go back to your july 5th 2019 memorandum that i referenced at the beginning of the of the, of the segment you know so many things are pointing to this eruption of civil disorder um and and no reasonable person and their right mind wants to see it happen. But boy, there's a lot of people gunning for it. A lot of people that are saying, bring it on. They know not what they ask for. Um, you know, it's, I, it, it's yeah, I, frightening. I, Doug, I call, I call our opposition the uh, Socialist, Communist, Democrats, Muslims. Uh, they formed a coalition. And they're serious. It doesn't matter. If we got an election um, 12 months from tomorrow to the day. The first Tuesday in November... 12 months from tomorrow, there's going to be an election. It doesn't matter the outcome. If President Trump gets reelected, there'll be civil disorder. If the President Trump is defeated, there'll be civil disorder. It doesn't matter who wins. I think there's a, high, a more highly likelihood of civil disorder if the President's reelected. But, I, agree. Uh, I agree on that. Yes. Uh, if, if, assuming we have a free and fair election, and President Trump is a, is a candidate. He will be reelected. I was talking to a, a friend. Uh, she was the campaign manager for two di two different presidential campaigns, and we we uh, talk uh, several times a year. And I said to her, I, I, I said, "Is there any precedence in any in the past hundred years of any presidential candidate 
filling up stadiums with 30,000 people with another 30,000 in the parking lot every place they go. And she told me, no, John, that's never happened ever. And of course, I knew that was the case. Uh, this man is unprecedented. What the opposition, Doug, they know that when President Trump is reelected, they're finished for a generation for the following reason. President Trump will appoint at least one, possibly two, maybe even three more Supreme Court justices. He'll appoint more than 100 federal court justices, and he'll continue to incrementally take apart everything not only Obama did, but two, two Bushes and one Clinton, because we have the past four presidents engaging in uh, unpatriotic, uh, harmful activity. It all needs to be taken apart and undone. The opposition knows this. They fear this. And they know that if they can't win at the ballot box, they will win with the bullet box. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Um, and, and you've got intelligence sources based on your long history of, of both behind the microphone as well as uh, um, your your background so you know of what you speak um i'm worried my friend i'm really I'm, I'm concerned uh, I'm dave Hodge, i've known dave for well, a good six or seven years when he started with republic broadcasting dave's doing uh, i believe him and, and my friend uh, paul martin are doing some excellent reporting and you mentioned the term red dawn uh a while a few minutes ago doug Red Dawn is not just two Hollywood films. It's the official Pentagon war scenario that involves uh, Russia and China invading this country. That is not a fantasy. It's an official Pentagon war scenario. And what we're seeing, and I had a firsthand witness on my show, I believe it was, it'll be three weeks ago tomorrow, possibly four weeks ago tomorrow, a, a very good friend, he's a neighbor of mine, over-the-road truck driver, he gave a first-hand report of a train he saw headed from the coast to Utah, loaded with United Nations armored vehicles and thin-skinned vehicles. Uh, so when you get these first-hand reports from reliable witnesses, it's time to stand up and pay attention. Uh, they aren't doing this for training exercises. They're doing this because they're going to need them. And the dream of every general prior to the war is to pre-position equipment supplies and men have them all staged inside the area where the war is going to take place moving uh, look at uh, desert uh, we had uh, desert shield and desert storm uh, Doug. desert shield was moving the tons and tons of, of supplies and equipment and finally the men the, moving the men was relatively quick because men can get up and walk onto a plane and walk off a plane. Supplies and equipment can't do that. So it took half a year to move the equipment and supplies and maybe 30 to 45 days to move the men uh, in Desert Shield. Uh, what we're seeing, what I'm seeing, is our enemies pre-positioning equipment. There would be trucks and vehicles, uh, ammunition, weapons, and men. And supplies. Supplies would be food, of course, and other things, medical supplies. Free position these things so that when the war starts, they'll be here when they need it. Uh, 
but, but John, uh, how can let me ask you this how can this take place without members officials in our government knowing about this they've got to well, know about this they, of course they know if my friend over there a truck driver saw the united nations vehicles come in then of course uh, the officials know and of course president trump knows and uh, i i know that uh, well, I don't know what they're doing. I know what I would be doing if I was in that position. I would be if I have surveillance on this on this equipment and these supplies. And we'll find out uh, what's being transported, where it's being transported to, and keep track of it so that when a time comes, I can put the hammer down and take these people out and either capture or destroy their equipment and supplies. Um, and I have no doubt whatsoever that. The white hats, as I refer to, the good guys in the, in the Department of Defense have plan, contingency plans in place to do just that. Uh, it's a chess game, uh, Doug, and both sides know what the other side is doing to a certain extent. Uh, there's going to be uh, secrets on both sides, and there's going to be uh, relatively open things. When they move a, a train more than a mile long full of United Nations vehicles, that's not a secret. It can't be a secret. Can't be a secret. No, no, not at all. Okay, now let me. I, I've got so many questions here, and I know that members of our my audience have have uh, really been wanting your wanting you to appear on this program, and I and I thank you for doing so. But um, um, President Trump, this is day number one thousand nineteen of him being in power in office. Um, if I can divert a little bit here. Uh, how would you rate his tenure? How would you rate his uh, his administration? His his what he's done in the thousand nineteen days that he's been in office? Well, I would rate it as a breath of fresh air. Uh, here's the problem President Trump had uh, all during Obama's eight years. Obama was appointing uh, people, a lot of Muslims, by the way, in high enough positions that they in turn pointed many hundreds of people below them that are still there. I'm, I'm sure almost all the Obama appointees are gone, but the people appointed by the Obama appointees who have the same philosophy and are part of the opposition are still in all these uh, executive branch agent agencies. So President Trump, I think, most of the first two years was uh, figuring out who these people were and either getting rid of them or, or promoting them where they could do no harm, such as a an office in Alaska or someplace, it's difficult to fire a federal employee. It's very right. difficult. So that would be most of his first two years was finding the whiteheads that would uh, support uh, the constitutional president doing the right things for the right reason and marginalizing and getting rid of people who would uh, try to stop him or try to try to sabotage him or whatever they might try to do because they're, they, they're, they're Obama appointees and uh, do not have our best interests in mind. Uh, so despite that hurdle, I think he's doing a great job. Beautiful. Yeah, I do. I do as well. And, and I can, uh, it's difficult for me to, to really fathom the amount of internal struggles. You know, it'd be like taking over a company and uh, having your chief executives within the company just undermine every, every decision you make, it's, it would be difficult to really um, to, to function. And that's what we're seeing here, I think, with President Trump. But you're right. The years of Obama and other members of the permanent bureaucracy, including the Clintons and, and even the Bushes, uh, really hasn't made it uh, very easy for him. 
Um, okay. All right. By the way, folks, John Moore, the libertyman.com. From there, you can you can go any uh, you can you can get a hold of his archives of his radio broadcasts. John broadcasts Monday through Friday in the morning. John, what time is your uh, live broadcast on RBN? Uh, Eastern time, it's nine to eleven. Uh, Central time, eight to ten. Uh, and there's about five different ways you can listen live into the archives. All right. So we, it's just a modern age. It's amazing. Yeah, and I, I, folks, I, I I listen to John. His programs are absolutely, in my view, required listening. And uh, there it is on the screen. The links for the, uh, the the website as well as the radio show will be in the program description box. All right. I, I don't want to monopolize your time. So um, whatever you feel is on your heart. And uh, well, I know, again, I know we spoke off air and you were telling me some things. And I'm thinking, Mike. Well, there's some things I can't discuss publicly. Right. Uh, I, I'll, I'll discuss what uh, uh, Paul Martin and uh, Dave Hodges have talked about uh, because some of their information comes from me. <laughs> which is not always which is not always public. Um, well, let's talk about Russian Sputznuts for a moment. First of all, Sputznuts is an acronym. It's uh, about eight Russian words that are about two feet long. Uh, Russian Special Forces. These men, they speak English better than my hillbilly neighbors. They they speak English with the Johnny Carson Nebraska neutral accent, which is no accent at all. Uh, they may know our culture, they know American trivia, uh, they basically, from the time they're five years old when they're recruited, they grow up immersed in American culture, even though they're still in Russia. We don't, you can meet a, a Russian Spotsnaz man and uh, not know that they're Russian Spotsnaz, not that you may think they're a native-born American. Uh, Paul Martin has talked about bumping into these guys in um, uh, Crystal Ranges in Colorado, and um, they revealed who they were and, and talked to them, and they were very good pistol shots, by the way. Mm. Um, what Spetsnaz does, about two to four weeks before a war begins, is to assassinate uh, elected officials, mayors, uh, city councilmen, uh, congressmen, state state reps, state senators, your local chief of police, uh, principals of schools, anybody who would be viewed as a leader in any given community, they get assassinated. That it just destroys the leadership of any given community. Um, I think this is a clear and present danger. I really do. And uh, I know some of these spots are known to the, to the FBI, for example, are being monitored. Some, probably most, are probably not being monitored because I simply don't know who they are. Hmm. But I want to segue here to talk about our Department of Defense and what, what's been done to our Department of Defense going back to the 1980s. Okay. Um, now, Doug, you and I are what might be called alpha male warriors. Uh, I know myself and you, we are classic alpha male warriors. What's been done at the Department of Defense is to make alpha male warriors very uncomfortable with even being in the military. Uh, and we now have mandatory classes to uh, have alpha male warriors uh, be told that the way they are 
is not normal. They have to become something else. I've even seen photographs of active duty male, male soldiers being required to walk in high heels while they're in a combat uniform. Uh, it, it's hard to believe this stuff is actually happening. Um, the integration of females into the Corps is another big part of this. Uh, the average woman is about the size of a healthy 12-year-old boy, about five foot two, about 110 pounds. There, there's no way a, a woman that size can do what a man can do. It, it simply can't happen. It won't happen. I agree. Uh, women are prohibited by the Army from carrying either more than one-third their body weight or 25 pounds, whichever is more. They're prohibited. They can't. They're not allowed to because they know they'll get injured. Wait a second. That, that's an actual rule right now? It's an actual rule. It's an actual rule. A woman cannot is prohibited in the Army from carrying more than 25 pounds. Now, soldiers, GIs going into combat, routinely carry 90 to 100 pounds, uh, roughly two-thirds of body weight. For a 150-pound soldier, that would be two-thirds of his body weight. I've done that, uh, and many thousands of men have done that. Um, one requirement, and here's what's been done uh, in a general sense. Every physical requirement uh, has either been done away with so the woman could do it or modified so the woman can do it. And I'll give you one clear example. Now, Doug, if you're, if you're on a battlefield and you get injured, if your buddy can't carry you back to where there's aid, you're going to bleed out and die. Would that be a fair statement? Yes. Okay. When I went through basic training, Everybody, every man was mandated, had to be able to pick up a man of equal size. So a 150-pound soldier had to be able to pick up another 150-pound man soldier, a fireman's carry, and trot around a quarter-mile track. If you couldn't do that, you were not allowed to be a soldier in the United States Army. It didn't matter if your job was to be playing the clarinet in the Army band. You weren't allowed to be a soldier. That's been done away with. Doug, because almost no women, there's probably maybe one, maybe two or maybe optimistically 3% of women that can pick up a woman of equal size and trot around a quarter mile track, which means almost none of them can do it. That's been done away with. I'll give you another example. Uh, a friend of mine, when I was in Special Forces, he was a captain. He, had, he was a West Point graduate. He was at West Point when the first female cadet showed up in the mid-1970s. He was a senior cadet at the time. Now, Doug, you probably know what an M14 rifle is. Yes, sir. Okay. For those who don't know, it's a battle rifle. And it's the beginning of 1959. It was the standard training rifle at West Point. When you see the cadets marching at West Point carrying rifles, they're carrying M14s. Now, something called the Manual of Arms, where the soldier uh, does left shoulder, right shoulder, present arms, all these different maneuvers. You see them do this at, at the um, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. If you want to, you can watch this on YouTube. Yep. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. So, going back to West Point. The Army did a nationwide search, Doug, to find the most athletic, the most motivated, the brightest young women, 18-year-old women, to be the very first women to be cadets at West Point. So they show up, and it's, and it's the first week of training. 
and they're all issued M14 rifles. And they start learning how to do the manual of arms. Left shoulder arms, right shoulder arms, present arms, order arms, and of course, inspection arms. When you do inspection arms, uh, Doug, you're required to pick up the M14 with your right hand, put it across your body, hold it with the left hand, the entire weight of the, of the rifle, and then push the bolt back with your right hand with your thumb reaching over to click the little uh, mechanism that holds the bolt open. Then you push it, you put that right hand back on the stock and then hand it to the inspecting officer. Yep. Doug, not a single woman could do this. Not one of them. Not a single woman could do this. Was it because of the... They weren't strong enough. Okay, I didn't... Okay, because I can tell you this, my wife would not be able to do that. So here, here's a quandary. We have a quandary. The uh, United States Congress requires women to be here, so that can't change. The Commandant of West Point requires all cadets to do the manual of arms, so that can't change. These 18-year-old, very athletic women can't get any stronger. These are the most athletic 18-year-old women that they could find in a nationwide search, so that can't be changed. Well, there's one thing left. That's the M14. Now, on the fourth day of November, 2019, today, at West Point, all the female cadets with M14s, they have rifles that have been taken to the armorer, and the armorer has removed the recoil spring and cut out sections of the spring to make the spring weak enough that the women could overcome the force of the spring and pretend to do inspection arms with a pretend rifle because it is a pretend rifle that no longer can shoot. It's a display piece. So the proud parents and other observers can watch these women pretend to do uh, inspection arms with a pretend rifle looking like all the other soldiers uh, who really can do it with a real rifle. That's right now on Monday, the 4th day of November, 2019. That's what's going on there, Doug. Now, every, now all the, everybody knows us at West Point. It's no secret. It's no secret at all. It's also no secret that every physical requirement for the women is reduced or done away with so the women can, can, can do the same, appear to do the same thing the men do. Who, who, I know you you mentioned that this change was done in the seventies, but who started? Who actually did made this decision? Um, was it in the seventies that this decision was made? It all, it all began then. Yeah, whatever president that was, that would have been okay. Uh, Nineteen seventy six. Would that have been Ford? That, that would have been uh, well, depend. Yeah, Ford, Ford, because Carter. Yeah, Ford and then Carter. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Wow. But you know, John, I, to me, there's something even more important when we talk about this, because I know I'm going to get emails from, uh, ladies and women and saying, you know what, we can do anything a guy can do. And well, they can't. Uh, uh, right. Right. But th th there's okay. Uh, or they should be able to, if they are able to. That's handle. what I hear all the time. Okay. Then how, how do you but, respond but to that? We had, we had that standard. That's a standard the public, the general public believes, uh, because that's what been, that's what been promoted. If we had the standard that women had to do the same thing as men, there would be almost no women in the military, almost none. Right. Right. And you know what, John? And I know you're like I am, as a guy. If I was, you know, forty years younger, 
Um, I, 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 seriously, I would not want my wife, I wouldn't want to place her in that position. I wouldn't want her to be fighting in combat. I wouldn't want her to be on the front lines of anything. I want to protect my wife. No military does what we're doing. People point to Israel. For when Israel was fighting for its life in 1947, they had women in combat. Women in the Israeli military are kept away from combat. The Chinese don't do this. The Russians don't do it. No military. They make fun of us. <laughs> our officers and our senior enlisted, they go to these conferences at, with NATO, and they're humiliated, and they're made fun of by the other soldiers from France and Germany and England and Canada and every place else that will not do what we do, which is intentionally put women in harm's way. Uh, it, it flies against Western civilization, Christian values, right. the way I was raised, the way you were raised. I was raised to protect women. Amen. They put women in harm's way. This was, pro this was pushed by uh, senior, senior female officers who uh, saw to get women in combat. Uh, it's difficult to get... Uh, promoted as an officer unless you've had a combat command it's very difficult and they saw this as a way of promoting themselves and and enhancing their careers to have women in combat so that they could have combat commands okay all right well that makes sense uh, folks my guest is john moore the libertyman.com the libertyman.com the link to his website will be in my program description box at hagmanreportlive.com his show airs on republic broadcasting network rbn monday through friday in the morning depending on what time zone you're in there it is right there i gotta tell you he's he's a guy i listen to you want to know who i listen to i listen to john moore he is a uh, uh, former homicide detective um He's a former private investigator. He's uh, been in the uh, special forces. Uh, this man has seen more than uh, many, uh, you know. I've lived the lives of three men. You, you have, yeah. He's, uh, when I left Vietnam uh, as a 21-year-old, I had to train three guys to take my place. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, Doug, uh, there's, there's men I know I've got words got vacuumed through the grapevine. I've got uh, men at the Pentagon, including uh, several flag rank officers that listen to my show. Um, and uh, why am I going down this road of, of the Department of Defense? Because yep. this is by design. Weakening our military is by design. It's not some kind of natural evolution of our society. There's people behind this that have an agenda, that are pushing their agenda to weaken our military. Going back to... Uh, the first George Bush and, and Bill Clinton, we had what we used to have the nuclear triad, the uh, missiles on the submarines, yep. the missiles in, in the land-based silos in, uh, in the American West, and uh, the Strategic Air Command. That was the triad, the three, the three parts of it. Right. Um, we entered into treaties, assault treaties, where we had concrete filling up the, the uh, missile silos under the watchful eye of Russian officers. We had uh, the wings of B-52s being cut off by these massive guillotines and folded back against the fuselage so the Russians could see by satellite that the wings, in fact, were cut off the uh, B-52s. And George Bush, first George Bush, George H.W. Bush, he, had, he issued an executive order that was carried out by Bill Clinton doing the following. It took away the launch codes from the submarine commanders to launch the Polaris missiles. 
that was the final straw right there. I don't know if if President uh, Trump has given that authority back to them, but that was to the submarine commanders. But that was a true threat to the to the Russians and the Chinese was the uh, Polaris missiles, uh, which could be independently launched by the submarine commanders. That was a true threat, and I hope it's been granted back to them. It really needs to be. Boy, I, I would say so. You talk about hobbling our side, um, indeed. So, so we've been weakened from within uh, by policy and by practice, haven't we? Mm. We have. Now, let's go down another another trail here, EMP. Yes. Um, I've interviewed Dr. Pry on my show, Dr. Peter Pry. Uh, he's been uh, he's the expert on EMP. I've since reevaluated my thought. I don't believe nationwide EMP would be used against us unless they thought they were losing. Um, that would be the, the North Koreans, the Chinese, the Russians. What's more likely is the following. The Russians have developed uh, nuclear weapons that put out almost no radiation, almost none. They're, rel- they're relatively small, but big enough to take out command and control, for example, or, 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 and, and uh, maybe have a small EMP over maybe several square miles. You need to look at what the goals are of the Russians and Chinese. What do they want? They want an America that they can take over. They want uh, oil refineries that function. They want locks and dams that function. They want uh, electric generating capacity that functions, and uh, and so on and so forth. They don't want a broken infrastructure. If you take out oil refineries with EMP, it would be 10 years before they were functioning again. That's how they don't want that done. But taking out command and control would effectively make us blind and unable to communicate, which would be a great way to get a war started, don't you think? I would think so. So how... Okay, how would they accomplish something like that? Well, there's two ways. Um, th- that would be uh, they're men on the ground mm-hmm. with, you know, they, these, these weapons are very small. Like fit in, um, you can carry one on a motorcycle as far as that goes um, and uh, get them in place and set them off at, at the, at the uh, predetermined time. Uh, our air defenses are still pretty effective. I'm not sure that they would even attempt to use airplanes or missiles to uh, deliver these weapons. They're more likely to be delivered by their men on the ground that could do it effectively. And you wouldn't have to be inside the wire. They would be powerful enough to be set off outside the wire and accomplish the goal of taking out most of our command and control. Could, could Have you seen or... Is it possible that the open southern border has allowed um, infiltrators into our, oh, into our bases even as support personnel into our um, uh, points of, uh, um, you know, supportive points, uh, uh, infrastructure uh, choke points and and such? Has that happened, do you think? Oh, there's two parts to your question. First of all, are they coming in? The southern border is just one of many ways to gain entry. Well, let's look at these um, uh, pieces of real estate the Russians and mostly Chinese have um, uh, in in our country uh, for allegedly for legitimate uh, commerce uh, purposes. Um, These locations are sovereign territory of China. 
and they were staffed by mostly Chinese male uh, military. Uh, the closest one to me is, is in Kansas City, and they're scattered around the country. So they're already here. Um, would they infiltrate? Oh, we had Nancy Pelosi's driver was a Chinese national who was probably a spy. So if they infiltrate at that level, why wouldn't they be able to infiltrate at the level of men and women who work on these military bases doing whatever jobs need to be done? Of course they're there. That's a given. If Nancy Pelosi's driver was a Chinese spy, then of course there would be similar people working at, at Fort Bragg, at Fort Hood, at Fort Leonardwood, uh, various uh, Air Force bases, Navy bases, and so forth. Uh, that's a given, of course, in here. If I was setting up this invasion, that's what I would do. I would have my people in place working uh, with proper credentials to come through the main gate, go to work every day, and, and smile and, and act like uh, they're just happy to be here when, in fact, they're uh, undercover and here for nefarious reasons. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, I've talked about this very scenario Um with Dave Hodges and other people. And it's kind of frightening when you, when you sit and think about this and especially the, the lead time that they've had to infiltrate and to, uh, well, what we're Dec- saying. Decades. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. What else, what else is on your radar? And again, John Moore, Liberty, the Liberty man.com. Um, and I want to leave a few minutes at the end because I got to ask you a question. Um, I, I want to see if I can hitch a ride with you uh, next uh, 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 February. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, okay. But uh, <laughs> um, but it, what else is on your mind? Well, we're, we're hearing. I have an economics expert on every Thursday. We're hearing widely uh, different uh, opinions of what's going on with this economy. Record employment of everybody. Uh, blacks, whites, Hispanics, and so forth, Asians, on one hand. On the other, uh, we're, we're hearing just the opposite about ultimately where this economy is going in the not-too-distant future. Um, I had a special report I did about four weeks ago concerning what appears to be tens of thousands of mortgages for um, homes and, and businesses to illegal aliens. That, uh, I, I I did the good journalism thing there, Doug. I confirmed it from two independent sources that around the February time frame, this whole matter of these illegal mortgages, and we talked about this privately, you and I, yep. would explode as the worst real estate and banking crisis in the history of the country. Um, so that's a, that's a matter of concern and nothing we can do about it. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if this whole uh, illegal mortgage thing was uh, contrived to do exactly what it might do which has caused the worst real estate and banking crisis in the history of the country. Don't you find the timing of that, John, February-ish of 2020 to be uh, really interesting, given the... Eight months before the election. Yeah. 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 Eight months before the election, exactly. Yeah, to to me, this this I don't believe in coincidences like you. I don't believe in coincidences like that, and uh, most assuredly. So yeah, but and the one thing I had kind of difficult um, time when when you spoke to me privately about this, you you mentioned illegal illegals, illegal aliens, and illegal mortgages, and and I kind of thought, okay, well, if they're paying the mortgages, 
you wouldn't know until they stopped paying the mortgages that they were illegal mortgages if you were, I mean, you may not know that. So well, the bank, the, the bank may or may not know, but there's federal oversight in these agencies that can, uh, if people with the skill sets you and I have start looking at these things. Of course they can find out. Sure. And, uh, so it doesn't matter. And we, you're right. We talked about this privately. It doesn't matter if they, if they're making all their payments, what matters is they're illegal. Exactly. And, and yep. yeah, that's, that's the issue. <laughs> and boy, I'll tell you what, that's the last thing I think that, that we would need. But, um, and I think I was, after we spoke, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, my goodness, if people would fall for that, and I believe that people will fall for anything, most people, not, not your audience or my audience necessarily, but, um, you know, it, it's, they'd have to see that this was, this was a setup from the beginning, but, uh, uh, Doug, I got a quick story for you. A, a friend of mine, he was uh, brought on board by the state of Missouri to investigate welfare fraud, working uh, as an investigator for the state of Missouri. And this would have been in the uh, late 70s, I think. And computers back then were pretty primitive, but they did exist. And he said uh, to the computer operator, I want you to do the following. Find out how many welfare recipients in the state of Missouri have the following social security number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And there was about 50 that did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, so, and that was, that was 40 years ago. Um, so determining that kind of fraud has become a lot more sophisticated in the last 40 years. And people with the skill sets you and I have can easily find the fraudulent mortgages, the illegal mortgages. Yep. And most likely it's being done right now, Doug. Oh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm certain of that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, final question here uh, uh, in the larger sense of larger scheme of things. Um, right now we're seeing this push, and, and this, by the way, it comes from uh, – somebody who knew you're going to be on today. Um, we're seeing this push for impeachment by president Donald Trump. Uh, do, do you see any kind of, uh, situation where president Trump will not, or will be removed and or not on the 2020 ticket? And, and this is actually not from, impeachment. that's not going to happen. Okay. There's, there's, there are no high, no high crimes and treason. Uh, the conversation with, with the leader of Ukraine was a was him doing his job. That's all it was. And um, so that's a big a nothing burger. Uh, and what what it is doing on the, on, the, on the positive side, Doug, is motivating President Trump's base. Yes. The, the people who support him anyway are becoming more highly motivated. They're more likely to encourage friends and relatives to register to vote which is a big problem, getting the conservative Christians to even register a vote, let alone go to the polls. But all this impeachment talk is doing just that. It's motivating his base to actually do something as opposed to complain. So I, th I think it's going to work out in our favor, quite frankly. Uh, man, I'm glad you said that. All right, Kev, that's for you. Um, knowing that John Moore is going to be on, I got your email. And, uh, of course, uh, there it is. And, and I'm in agreement with John on this one. All right, John, I got to ask you, um, you're going to have a Patriot Symposium cruise. Now, let me tell you, beginning of February, around here, around these parts, we're usually up to my neck or my uh, 
shoulders. I was going to use another anatomy part the, in snow. And it's colder than you know what. But right. uh, you are going to be, you're actually going to be having a uh, Patriot Symposium cruise aboard Royal Caribbean's Harmony of the Seas uh, uh, boat, ship, not a boat, but a ship, February 9th through the 16th of 2020. You want to tell us about that? Because, man, I want to go. I want you to pick me up on the way over to Orlando. Orlando. <laughs> I'm going to hide in your um, uh, suitcase. I don't care. I got to go with it. Well, so. it'll be a lot of fun. I've never been on a Caribbean cruise. This is the largest ship they make. There's 20 restaurants on this ship. Uh, we'll get together uh, once a day to have the kind of discussions you and I are having. Uh, we'll have dinner every evening. There'll be some ports of call. What a great time to be away from uh, the cold weather uh, uh, the second week of February. There's details at my website at libertyman.com. Are, are you, is this, a, have you done this before? I have not. It's my first time. Okay. First time but have you had meetings like this before elsewhere, or is this your first, first meeting? Not, I've had various symposiums, but nothing of this nature, no. Okay. All right. And every person there is going to receive a copy of The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Dr. Joseph Murphy. Folks, go to the Liberty Man. In fact, I'm going to put a special link to this page. And, John, you and I are going to talk because, man, um, if I can accompany you, I mean, obviously, I pay my way. But, man, what a fun time this would be, or at least fun and informative, uh, as you point out there. And uh, I'm sure we could get a lot of discussion in during the, that uh, week period while right. seeing and we can talk we talk about things we can't talk about on the radio yeah and, and the kind of detail that we never ever do because there'd be time to do, to talk in detail that we don't have and face-to-face -face discussion is always more productive i think than, than uh, any other type of communication is, is there a is there a, a cutoff number like if you get to a certain point you can't take any more i, I didn't see oh, we, we, things this close, and it may being November, it may not seem like it's that close, but this close to the event, things have changed in terms of pricing. And uh, I'll be talking to the cruise director uh, probably in the next two hours to see exactly where we stand in okay. all that. All right. Would you mind keeping us informed? Because I, I can tell you, I'm sure there are a lot of people in our audience who would want to get away um, and would love to spend that week with you uh, and maybe even me. Or just in spite of me, but would love to spend that week on the on the high seas and and uh, um, so keep me posted on this, okay? I'll do that. And uh, we also the cruise director works with single men and single women, so they can double up, uh, not together, but the single women together and single men together to uh, make the price a bit more agreeable. Um, so there's other there's lots of possibilities here, Doug. Beautiful. And and of all the folks, let me tell you something. Of all the people I'd want to talk with in the intelligence, security, information um, venues, it would be John Moore. Uh, John Moore, is, as I said, has got the record. He's a homicide detective, uh, investigator. He knows a lot about a lot of things, has a lot of contacts, is a source for many in addition to, of course, being his own uh, radio show host. So uh, this would be a tremendous time. I, look, I'm not getting anything by promoting this, except I saw this earlier today, and I thought, my goodness, I've got to go. I know my wife was going to – she sees this, it's over. I mean, she'll be on the phone to you saying, Give me we're going. So, oh, I should mention Valentine's Day is right in the middle of the cruise. Oh, wow, okay. 
Oh, that's no. right. Yeah, okay. Looking at the dates, February 9th through the 16th of 2020. That's good timing, my friend. Good timing. Well, don't, don't forget, Doug. I mean, if you got your wife and you're going, it's Valentine's Day, you, you've got to have something special for her. That's very true. Uh, and uh, boy, yeah, yeah, that's right. Valentine's Day at sea. Yeah, otherwise I would, uh, I would never hear the end of it, so... Well, my friend, uh, we are about uh, about the, uh, the about the end of the segment. Um, in the remaining two minutes, I've got any closing comments, any words of wisdom, any pearls, nuggets of wisdom you can offer. Well, we, we talk about it a lot, but what needs to be mentioned frequently is ultimately it's a, it's a spiritual battle, and uh, we're fighting the forces of darkness. And if you don't keep that in mind, you're hopelessly lost, Doug. Oh, amen. John Moore, I want to thank you so very much. You are just very few people intimidate me. You're one. I, I, when I say it's not my intent, no, no, no. But but but, but you know, I guess that comes from a, a level of respect because knowing what you've done and and knowing the life you've led, um, yeah, you know what? I have a lot of respect for you, my friend. I really do, and I appreciate your expertise and I appreciate your time. We need this more frequently. Um, we can talk properly about that. Indeed. All right, my friend. Thank you. You have a great day. Be careful. All right. Folks, uh, we're getting on the top of the hour. As a matter of fact, uh, that was John Moore from uh, thelibertyman.com, his broadcast on RBN. You know, if you haven't done so, if you haven't, I started out the segment by saying, I think we have to be careful. We have to use our discernment as to who we listen to. And there's a lot of hyperbole. There's a lot of, um, I, 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 a lot of misinformation. And I'm not so sure a lot of the misinformation is done deliberately. Although I am sure some of it is, not, not the majority of it. And I'm not so sure that there's any malicious intent, except where there is. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so you've got to kind of pare down and hone down the people who you listen to because we only have, what, so many hours in a day, don't we? We really do. So we've got to kind of choose who we listen to. John Moore, thelibertyman.com is indeed one. Folks, you're going to be right back. You're listening to the Hagman Report on this Monday, the fourth day of November 2019. I'm going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Didn't think I knew that was on, did you? I did. Welcome to Hagman. It's the Hagman Report, where truth can't be silenced. I want to welcome you back to the second hour today. Um, the first hour, John Moore, the Liberty Man, libertyman.com. You know, he's a good friend of mine. I, one thing I wanted to tell, tell everyone, uh, in case you didn't know this, John Moore lost his wife to cancer on the day after my my son died. You know, we've all been through the mill, haven't we? And um, I got to tell you, you know, he, he really helped her fight the good fight. 
I just, I think a lot of him. I think a lot of John Moore. I think a lot of his work, and I think a, I, he's got my utmost respect, but he is one um, courageous man. And when he describes himself as an alpha male, he, believe me, he is. So if you if you didn't know that, you might want to send him a little note. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, she, she was a courageous woman, yeah, a great woman, and... Uh, you know, I just, I, it hurts my heart when I, when I think about that, your best friend, your mate, losing your, your mate in a situation like that. My goodness. Yeah. A lot more to get into this hour. So stay with me. I want to talk to you about one thing. You want to save money? You want to save money? You want to save money in terms of interest? Oh, you want to de-stress your life? I don't know if you're like the the if you're like most people, you've got credit cards. You know, you've got a bunch of credit cards. You look in your wallet, and you got all these credit cards. And, and you know, if high interest rate, if high interest credit card bills are adding to your stress, because we all have stress, I've got a solution for you. I worked this out. In fact, the Lightstream worked this out with our listeners. Um, pay off your credit card balances and save money with a credit card consolidation loan from my friends at Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 5.95 APR with auto pay. It's much lower than the national interest rate of over 20% APR. Plus your rate is fixed. So rates can, as they continue to rise, your rate won't budge. The online application is quick and easy. You can apply right from your phone. I mean, it's just that simple. Oh my goodness. Lightstream believes People with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver, right on the money. Folks, here's what you need to do, just for you, just for the people listening and watching this program. This is just for you. Don't tell anyone else now. You don't want anyone else to get in on this. I'm kidding. Of course you do. Just for my listeners, though, apply now and get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Hagman, and that is H-A-G-M-A-N-N. That's two N's, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, lightstream.com slash Hagman. I'm going to spell it out completely. You ready? L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M. That's lightstream.com slash Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, lightstream.com slash Hagman. Oh, by the way, it's subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount, terms and conditions apply, and offers, well, they're subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Hagman for more information. I've talked to a number of people who really have made it, uh, have, have saved a lot of money. I have. Sir, and I'm very serious about it, as we have here at the Hagman Studios. Oh, one more thing before I get going. If you haven't seen this already, Wisconsin Christian News. Folks, I want to tell you something, all right? Wisconsin Christian News, eight bucks. You got eight bucks? Eric the Tech, you got eight bucks on you? Uh, yeah, do you take card? <laughs> Folks, I'm going to tell you. Go to Wisconsin Christian News. Go to their website. It's going to be in the program description box at Hagman Report Live. Click the Donate button. No other button, the Donate button, and here's why. You click the Donate button for $8 or more, and please, man, you know, look, it's $8 barely covers the postage and printing. Uh, you get three months free if you use the code word Hagman. 
Now, if I, I can't think of a better, more, more worthy place to, to donate than Wisconsin Christian News. The information in this uh, newspaper is second to none, and it comes to you in hard copy form, first class, so once a month. It's actually 10 issues a year. They combine the summer and winter issues, um, July or I think July and August and uh, November, December, or June and July, whatever. But nonetheless, you get three issues, $8 donation. Simple as that. I would say, you know what, reach in, dig deeper, because they are worthy of our support. All right. Now, if you've, if for the people who have been paying attention to this, I, I want to, I want to give some impeachment news here. And you say, oh, cr crying out loud, <sighs> again. Devin Nunes was interviewed this weekend, this past weekend, and he was talking about something. Uh, in fact, he was referencing a book titled uh, "The Plot Against the President." Now. We talk about the deep state. We talk about the elements of the deep state. We talk about the uh, global governance. We talk about all of this, but nowhere is it more evident and open and visible. I, I mean, you can actually point and say, there's one, meaning a, a member of the deep state, or there's the situation, there's a part of it. This to me, if you were going to go into a courtroom and, and, and testify about the existence of the deep state and, and how they want to crush America, well, this impeachment process, to me, would be exhibit A. This would be the best evidence. And it's right before our very eyes. And it's playing out right before our very eyes as well. You got Schiff and you got Pelosi, and then you got the minor players, and and you got the intelligence uh, level players like Clapper and Brennan and Comey, and, and then Strzok and Page, and, and then you got the, um, uh, the subcontractors, uh, Stefan Helper and and others, okay, and Mifsud, and then you've got uh, some people that are just kind of in the Donald Trump orbit, pa Papadopoulos and Carter Page. Uh, okay. Uh, notice I. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. 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 Wait. But see, here's the thing. You have some people that are that are actually exposing this. Devin Nunes exposed it very well, very well over the course of the last couple of years. As a matter of fact, he was so effective. You know what they did. The uh, the left filed an ethics complaint against Devin Nunes. You knew about that. Sidelined him for a while. Now, if they would do that to Schiff, Schiff wouldn't care. But anyway, I out of all of the videos, all of the the um, news I watched this weekend, this is the one clip I really would like to share with all of you. This is Fox or this was I'm sorry. This is One American News OAN. And it's just under five minutes. This is Devin Nunes. The, in, the questions asked by One American News. What a fine outfit. What a fine organization they are. And, and you, talk about, uh, you talk about the real news. They're real news, One American News. Have a listen and look at, look at this interview that, that occurred here within the last 72 hours. 
uh, Devin Nunes. And this he relates to, or he references a book by Lee Smith, investigative author, researcher, or investigative researcher and author, Lee Smith. And uh, he just came out with the book, The Plot Against the President. The subtitle, of course, has Devin Nunes in the, in the subtitle. But go ahead and play this uh, and, and have a listen. A new book about Congressman Devin Nunes says that he has uncovered proof the impeachment effort against President Trump started right after he won the 2016 election. One America's John Hines spoke with Nunes and has this from Capitol Hill. After Donald Trump was elected the 45th president, the operation designed to undermine his campaign became an effort to bring down the commander-in-chief. According to a new book called The Plot Against the President, the true story of how Congressman Devin Nunes uncovered the biggest scandal in U.S. history. You at OAN and your viewers are, are well aware uh, because you actually tried to cover this uh, story as it all unfolded. And so uh, investigative uh, reporter Lee Smith uh, was one of the uh, top reporters that we had uh, here in Washington that was actually doing a real investigation trying to get to the bottom of who was involved in uh, working with Russians during the 2016 election. And uh, he uh, wrote a, a book that I'm only actually through chapter five on, uh, but of course I've approved all the quotes. Uh, I've, I've, I'm, I've been interviewed for the book. I'd say the other common theme uh, is that he holds the media accountable for their actions. Uh, and specifically, uh, he uncovered what were proto-dossiers. Proto-dossiers, actually new information that the public is likely not aware of, says Nunes. These were earlier dossiers that seemed to prove British Secret Service veteran and DNC subcontractor Christopher Steele may not have actually written the Steele dossier after all. There were earlier dossiers that were shared with members of the media uh, here in Washington that they've refused to report on. They, didn't, they never talked about those existing. Uh, and when you compare those proto-dossiers to the steel dossiers, it's clear it's the same product. So Lee uncovers that, explains that, uh, and then everything I hear about the book is that uh, it, it's uh, very easy to read and easy to understand with a lot of new information. New information that may explain a lot about a complex mix of enigmatic intelligence personnel, driving an investigation that the book says was more like a paper coup. And it was a paper coup that Nunes discovered early on. The first moment that I knew that something was wrong is when I was being accused of some kind of Russian agent, Russian handler. That was totally bizarre. It came in late 2016 uh, because I had been the one that was critical of the Obama administration. Ironically, one of the issues was not providing weapons to Ukraine, not speaking out strongly against the Putin regime. And so you can see the fact that I'd be a little bit alarmed if right after the election, weeks after the election, suddenly I'm the Russian agent. Doesn't make any sense because it was it was false. And that's when they, they went from a counterintelligence investigation and turned it basically into a plot against the president, which is the title of Lee Smith's book. A plot that Nunes says began long before the FBI's official announcement of an investigation of the Trump campaign in late July of 2016. The Republicans on the Intelligence Committee uh, were the ones that unearthed this, and that is that it is a lie that the investigation began in late July. It's just a lie. They may have officially done it, created the paperwork, that's not when they started investigating the Trump campaign. And we should all be concerned about this because 
what on earth would the counterintelligence capabilities in this country that are used to track down terrorists and protect this country, why would they be investigating a political campaign? It's, it's, it's wrong. And, and the Democrats know it's wrong, and they were in on it. They paid for this, they knew it the whole time, and people in the media, all the people that are around here to the left and right, your viewers can't see it, they were all in on it. Uh, for someone just picking this up casually and, and seeing our interview, what do you think, why might it be important for somebody to pick this book up and read a little bit about this and dive in? If you, if you want to know about what really happened, uh, this, is the, this is the true story, because they interviewed the people who did the actual investigation, Lee interviewed the people who did the actual investigation, uh, and, and brings it all to light. John Hines, One American News, Washington. Want to see more videos like this? All right. Now, uh, would it surprise you to know that I, I purchased the book and read the book? I hope not. I did. And he, here's the, uh, the the narrow focus that uh, Devin Nunes was talking about. And I think it's really, if, if you walk away from this understanding nothing else, this is what you need to understand. I did a video about this early this morning. I don't know, uh, 12, 14 hours ago. Um, uh, I think I titled it, uh, I can't remember, uh, Proto-Dossiers, I believe it was. It was in the title. Oh, yeah, Proto-Dossiers, the, uh, the roadmap to the, uh, the, of the coup. And, and I use that word because I, and I, I remember saying that you're going to be hearing more about Proto-Dossiers, that word, Proto-Dossiers. Here's where I'm coming from on this. And here's where I think everyone needs to take a look at this. Um, because what I said earlier about this being kind of the best evidence exhibit A of a coup that's in progress, well, here it is. The FBI, according to the Mueller report, according to all of the, anyone you ask on the left, well, the investigation was started in late July of 2016 based on information that Donald Trump could very well be uh, colluding with the Russians in a number of things, including but not limited to meddling in the 2016 elections. Huh. Boy, does that sound familiar. Why does that sound familiar? I, I think I might have read it in a legal paper. Hmm. Okay. Um, that's the story, right? The, so the FBI, using the counterintelligence Remember, the FBI's got counterintelligence, the counterintelligence section, and then the criminal section. Using the weight of the counterintelligence branch, avenues, if you will, because the oversight there is less and the requirements for the standards of proof are less than the criminal side, they opened up an investigation under the counterintelligence of the FBI. Okay. But when did that happen? Well, when you look at it, it wasn't late July of 2016. No, 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 no. Go back to April of 2016, shall we? Hillary, Diane Rodham Clinton, her campaign, and the DNC, they hired Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS was paid more than a million dollars to compile information about Donald 
Trump about his ties to Russia. Now, remember the word proto-dossier. Proto-dossier is plural, singular, whatever. Remember that word. Fusion GPS acted as Hillary Clinton's war room. Now, those of you who know that Fusion GPS was really founded in 2010 by three individuals, Glenn Simpson and two others uh, related to the uh, former employees, investigative or journalists of the Washington or Wall Street Journal. All right. But they, they acted in, as Hillary Clinton's war room. As a matter of fact, they had a, they had a history of, of uh, uh, political investigations. As a matter of fact, in 2012, they worked for Obama after going after Romney. They talked about Romney's, they got uh, Romney's, uh, I'm sorry, they got Romney's uh, divorce records uh, or, and also uh, made a really big thing about his statements about his belief or disbelief about homosexuality. All right. So it goes back to, that, that goes back to 2012 after being founded in 2010. Now, you all know the Steele dossier. Right? Everyone knows, oh, it's the Steele dossier, Steele dossier. Remember, folks, we had Diana West on this program, and uh, she said, you know, the authorship of the Steele dossier, it, it, I'm seeing a lot of things that make me question the authorship, whether, in fact, Christopher Steele wrote this dossier. Well, who, in fact, could have might have written the Steele dossier if it wasn't Christopher Steele? As, again, as it's known as the Steele dossier. Hmm. How about Nellie Orr? As a matter of fact, Diana West wrote the book The Red Thread, which from my video earlier today, I think I linked it to The Red Thread in dianawest.net, her website. All right. Understand this. When Fusion GPS hired Steele, Christopher Steele, in May of 2016, Fusion GPS had already several dossiers written. Now, a dossier is what Fusion GPS calls an investigative packet about either a series of events or a person or whatever it might be. But they had several, several, several packets already done when Steele was hired back in May of 2016. When did they start doing that? Early. How about April of 2016? Why does that ring a bell? Because April is when the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC hired Fusion GPS. They hired them in, in April. And throughout April and May, they developed uh, uh, several dossiers. They were known or are known as proto-dossiers. Why? Because collectively, they, in combination with each other, are components and created what is now known as the Steele dossier. And you can trace many of these reports, many of these proto-dossiers back to Nellie Orr. Remember, Nellie Orr is the wife of Bruce Orr, a top Department of Justice official. Nellie Orr began working for Fusion GPS in October of 2015. There were four proto-dossiers that were most significant 
As a matter of fact, one was perhaps the most significant. It's 15 pages in length. It's titled Donald Trump and Russia. And it happens to be dated May 20th, 2016. For those of you who didn't see my, my video today, I'm going to just give you a little heads up about this. The header on this particular 15-page document states, Privileged, prepared at the instruction of counsel. Let me make sure I have this right. Privileged, prepared at the instruction of counsel. Well, what counsel? How about Perkins Coy? Perkins Coy, however you want to pronounce it. They retained Fusion GPS on behalf of Hillary Clinton and the DNC. So again, the official narrative is that the nation's counterintelligence agencies, agencies began their investigation into Donald Trump in late July of 2016 based on evidence that there was there were some there were some indications where he was meddling with the Russians. Uh-uh. No. No. I just told you how it started. As a matter of fact, the Steele dossier, as a matter of fact, it may not be the Steele dossier at all. It could very well be the Orr dossier or the uh, uh, Fusion GPS dossier. But nonetheless, a product of open source information and dubious intelligence information weaponized by the counterintelligence division of the FBI working in conjunction with the international in intelligence agencies, the CIA, MI6, Mossad, um, all, well, the five eyes, and the rest is history. And when that really kind of fell apart, because remember, Mueller had the answers, the, the Special counsel's report contained verification of the collusion. Oh, when that didn't happen? Well, Mueller's testimony is going to clear it up. Don't worry about a thing. Well, when that didn't happen, gee, suddenly Ukraine happened, right? You don't, I mean, this reminds me of a lawsuit I'm familiar with. It's kind of like an evolving process. It evolves. If it's not this, it's that. If it's not that, it's over there. And Hey, if I can't win over here, let me go over here. I'm going to get you on something. This is nothing but harassment. As a matter of fact, it's more than harassment. This is nothing, in my view anyway, less than treasonous and yes i understand the implications of that word because for anyone and especially anyone who has the ability to use our intelligence assets to de to to reverse an election in the united states of america what else would you call that kind of like the word conspiracy when a couple of people get together or people get together 
and they they, they operate this uh, the plans to do something criminal. What's the word for that? Well, it's conspiracy. What else would you call it? A sandwich? All right. I thought that was perhaps one of the most important uh, broadcasts of this weekend. Now, in the conservative treehouse, and I often reference this, I wanted to bring this out because this is, this is important. This was posted yesterday. This is about Julian Assange. And the title of this is Why John Brennan, Peter Strzok, in the Department of Justice needed Julian Assange arrested and why UK officials obliged. Because there's a lot of, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of stuff out there about WikiLeaks and about Assange and about the process. Now, this is one theory, or this is one analysis. I don't want to say theory. This is one analysis based on the available evidence. And this is about Julian Assange, his arrest extradition. Written in CTH by uh, Sundance, says the following. According to recent reports, U.S. Attorney John Durham and U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr are spending time on a narrowed focus looking carefully now at CIA activity in the 2016 presidential election. Now, again, a very narrow focus. This is Durham and Barr. One recent quote, again, this is from Conservative Treehouse, one recent quote from a media voice increasingly sympathetic to a political deep state notes this. One British official with knowledge of Barr's wish list presented to London commented that it is like nothing we have come across before. There are, They are basically asking in quite robust terms for help in doing a hatchet job on their own intelligence services. Did you catch that? Even with my deep and weird intonation there? I'm going to read that uh, again. One recent quote from a media voice who's increasingly sympathetic to a political deep state notes the following. One British official with knowledge of Barr's wish list presented to London commented that it's nothing like we've come across before. They're basically asking in quite robust terms for help in doing a hatchet job on their own intelligence services. Now there's a link there to... Uh, to an external source. I, I can't quite uh, decipher what it is. Anyway, it's interesting that quote comes from a British intelligence official as there appears to be mounting evidence of an extensive CIA operation that likely involved UK intelligence services. We know that this did involve the UK intelligence services. We just don't know if it involved only the UK intelligence services. Anyway, that, those are my comments now. In addition, and as a direct outcome, there's an aspect to the CIA operation that overlaps both a U U.S. and the U.K. need to keep WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, Assange under tight control. From this article, in this outline, we will explain where corrupt U.S. and U.K. interests merge. Now, I, that got my attention. I don't know about you. Anything that says that, I want to I read this. <clears throat> you got to see the picture there, too, by the way. Anyway, 
Uh, Peter Strzok just freaks me out. All right. To understand the risk that Julian Assange represented to CIA interests, it's important to understand just how extensive the operations of the CIA were in 2016. Remember, Brennan... Brennan was Obama's national security advisor for his campaign in 08, rose through the ranks. I can't remember. CIA, Saudi Arabia, you got it. Okay. So you know the weaponization of the CIA, specifically under Brennan, but the CIA has a mandate where they can't operate domestically. So what would Brennan do? If you were Brennan, what would you do? You would use the resources of the five eyes or other intelligence, non-domestic agencies to do the work for you. Now, again, we're talking about Assange here, but just hold with me. <clears throat> By now, people are familiar with the construct of CIA operations involving Joseph Mifsud. Now, he's the Maltese professor that's now generally admitted, identified as a Western intelligence operative. Remember this, Mifsud was working for Western intelligence, not Russia, Western intelligence. <clears throat> he was tasked by John Brennan. He was tasked by the CIA to run an operation against President Trump and Trump campaign official George Papadopoulos in both Italy and London, UK. Are you with me so far? In like manner, the CIA tasked U.S. intelligence asset Stefan Halper to target another Trump campaign official, and that is Carter Page. Now, under the auspices of being a Cambridge professor, this helper character, and Dan Bongino gets into this quite deeply, also targeted who? Of course, General Michael Flynn. Additionally, using assistance from a female FBI agent under the false name of Azra Turk, helper also targeted Papadopoulos. All right. Now, hold on a minute here. Oops. Hold on just one second here. Okay. So, you've got the CAA under Brennan tasked U.S. intelligence asset Stefan Halper to target Trump campaign official Carter Page under the auspices of being a Cambridge professor, helper, also targeted General Michael Flynn. Additionally, using assistance from a female FBI agent under the name Osra Turk, helper also targeted Papadopoulos. All right, we're clear so far. The initial operations to target Flynn, Papadopoulos, and Page, and Page, they all took place overseas. They all took place off of U.S. soil. Think about that. Why? Why did they send Page? And why? Well, this seemingly makes the CIA exploitation of the assets and targets a lot easier. There's a lot less paperwork, a lot less spleening to do, Lucy. 
one of the more interesting aspects to this Durham probe is a possibility of a paper trail created as a result of the tasking operations. In other words, hey, here's a this is your instructions. Don't destroy them. Yeah, anyway, there's a paper trail. Now, we should be looking pretty close. As some congressional representatives have hinted toward documented evidence, transcripts and recordings and reports that are exculpatory Brady material to the to the various targets of these operations, specifically Page and Papadopoulos. You had Devin Nunes, earlier, saw him earlier. He strongly hinted that very specific, extremely specific exculpatory evidence was known to the FBI, yet it was withheld from the FISA application used against Carter Page. It also mentions George Papadopoulos. Now that you can go on a tangent there. So think about this. Bad faith by the, not only bad faith, but intentional um, uh, weaponization of the CIA. Because you see, they did, the CIA handled everything overseas. And then when exculpatory evidence was exists and they knew it exists, they withheld it from the investigative bodies, including the FBI, but specifically FISA, and that is especially against Papadopoulos and Carter Page. So who held this? Who withheld this? They all did. All right. But there's an aspect to the domestic U.S. operation that also has the fingerprints of the CIA. Did you hear what I just said? There's an aspect to the domestic U.S. operation that also bears the fingerprints of the CIA. How is that even possible? Only this time, due to the restrictive laws on targets inside the U.S., hmm, the CIA aspect is less prominent. But they're there, kind of like latent prints. You know what I mean? By the way, I just did that. I, I want people to know. Did you ever watch YouTube videos where, um, the, like, usually dashboard dashboard videos? I'm digressing here. Dashboard videos of police officers stopping, making a traffic stop. Did you ever watch them? Eric the Tech, chime in on this. No. Uh, shut up. <laughs> I mean, no. Yes, you have. You've watched videos where the police are, dash dash cam videos. Where oh the, yeah. Okay. All right. Tons of them. All right. What do you see the cop do uh, when he walks up to your vehicle? What's the one thing you see him do? It, it just about ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the cops when they walk up and they they reach the they reach your vehicle. What's the one thing you see him do? Play at home. Play you you at home. Play along with me. I'm gonna say put their hand on their weapon. Close. Did you ever see them put their thumb or their hand on the car? Nope. Oh, watch closer. 99.9% .9 of the time you'll see them as they walk to the driver's side or walk to the car, they'll put their thumb on the trunk, on the uh, you know quarter panel or someplace. They'll put their hand on the car. I'm telling you, you know why? Fingerprints. 
fingerprints because if they if something happens to them, they, they teach you that in the academy. So, anyway, you impressed? Very impressed. Very impressed. Nice. I'm I'm going to get a camera on him. And lady, the studio dog's laying over here snoring. Okay, but I I just I just really digress. So anyway. The fingerprints of the CIA, just like the police officer, the, on, the latent prints on the car, the fingerprints on the CIA are, are here. They're on the targets of the USA, um, um, but not quite visible. So they're kind of latent. But this is where FBI agent Peter struck. Working for both agencies starts to become important. And again, I would urge everyone to, I'll put the link to the Treehouse article in the uh, program description box. Remember, remember, it's clear in the text messages that Strzok has a working relationship with what he called their sister agency, the CIA. Like a red-headed strep brother, right? All right? Additionally, Brennan admitted Stroke helped write the January 2017 ICA. What does that stand for? The Intelligence Community Assessment. That outlines the Russia narrative. And it's almost guaranteed that the July 31st, 2016 electronic communication from the CIA to the FBI that originated the, that, that, that started Operation Crossfire or Operation Crossfire Hurricane. Sorry about that. Still thinking about the police. Um, uh, Operation Crossfire Hurricane was co-authored from the CIA by Peter Strzok. And Strzok immediately used that, that uh, electronic communication that I referenced to travel to London to debrief intelligence officials around the Australian ambassador to the UK, Alexander Downer. Alexander Downer. So in sum and substance, you have Strzok Remember the paramour of Lisa Page. Hey, Mrs. Strzok, did you know about that? Just asking. Uh, Peter Strzok appears to be the very eager, profoundly overzealous James Bond, when in fact he turns out to be Clouseau. Uh, James Bond wannabe. He acted as the conduit between the CIA and the FBI the perfect type of FBI career agent for CIA director, John Brennan to use. So Fusion GPS, this is this kind of ties into the newness thing. So Fusion GPS founder Glenn Simpson hired CIA open source analyst. Guess who? Come on, at home. I mentioned her name. That's right, Nellie Orr. Toward the end of 2015, remember, Nellie Orr began... She was hired by Fusion GPS in October of 2015. Remember, Nellie Orr's husband is Bruce Orr. Bruce Orr is part of the Department of Justice, number four at DOJ. I know you know this. I know, but it's important. It's imperative that we go through this and we commit it to memory. So we can, we've got this to, 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 to put, fight these, this BS about what's going on here. But Simpson from Fusion GPS hired Nellie Orr again, October 2015, just about the same time as the FBI contractors were identified exploiting the NSA data database and extracting information on a specific set of U.S. persons. Now, remember 
about the database abuses. Remember that 99, I think it was 99 page report, but I think it was Rosemary Collier wrote the report, or Michael Rogers had identified Pfizer or uh, database breaches and abuses. Mike Rogers, right, identified the abuses of databases. So, as I said before, I've got a computer in my office. I can actually access fee-based proprietary databases, specific databases that have information that other you're not you can't go on the internet and get this stuff. You, you know, you just can't. But by doing so, and in order to do so, you've got to furnish credentials that that gives you the access to that. But as you do so, you're also subject to audit. So, for example, if I, oh, I don't know, let's say I'm driving around, I see a, just a beautiful woman, and I thought, I think, okay, you know what? I wonder, I wonder, I'm going to call her up, and because uh, I like the way she looks, she's got blonde hair, blue eyes. You know, she's 30. She's oh, she's what? She's the love of my life, maybe. So, you know, I'd like to meet her. So I run her license plate in an effort to get her name, address, and phone number, right? Oh, you can't do that. Because you get audited. And you've got to, so when I, when I run mine, you know, there's an audit. And I have to verify why every case, okay, I did it for this reason. This is the case number. This is the reason. And let me tell you, if they don't match up, I'm in big trouble. Well, this is what they found. This is exactly what they found, uh, that the databases were being used improperly, and it was for political purposes. No, these are meant for counterintelligence. This is meant for terrorism. Oh, my word. Well, and of course, there was a report made. They exploited the NSA database. They extracted information on U.S. persons. And they looked at this and said, man, there's a lot of Donald Trump, Donald Ivanka Trump, uh, you know, uh, and so on. You get the idea. Well, Fusion GPS, or I told you, I told you about the Fusion GPS. Okay, so... It was Fusion GPS founder Glenn Simpson who was domestically tasked with a Russian lobbyist named Natalia Veselnetskaya. A little reported Russian deputy attorney general, now you got to hear this, named Saak Alberovich. I don't know how to pronounce that last name, Corruptian. He was working double agents for the CIA in the Kremlin. He was directing the foreign operations of Natalia Vizelnitskaya, and Glenn Simpson was organizing her inside the U.S. So this uh, um, uh, Sayek Albertovich K. something, he was working double agents for the CIA in the Kremlin. He was working on the on the outside of the U.S. while Simpson was organizing Veselnitskaya here in the U.S. So Glenn Simpson managed Veselnitskaya through the 2016 Trump Tower meeting. Remember that? Which Simpson, I, I, I didn't, I don't know nothing. Testifying before Congress. 
However, once the CIA Fusion GPS operation using Veselnetskaya started to unravel with the public reporting, back in Russia, Deputy Attorney General, Deputy AG, that uh, Sayak guy, man, I hate when this happens. You know what happened to him? He's flying in a helicopter and he just falls out. Man, I hate when that happens. And then guess what happens? The helicopter crashed. Let me tell you that one more time. See, Glenn Simpson took care of Veselnitskaya through the 2016 Trump Tower meeting. The story began to unravel. Now, on the Russia side, Deputy AG Sayek Albertovich Karapetian. I don't know if that's the right name. He's flying in the helicopter, minding his own business, doing a crossword puzzle, drinking a soy latte, falls out of the helicopter, helicopter crash. I hate when that happens. Simultaneously timed in late 2015 through mid-2016, there was a domestic FBI operation using a young Russian named Maria Butina. Now, you can find a lot of this as well in Dan Bongino's Spygate. She was tasked to run up against Republican presidential candidates and run, you know, uh, intelligence. Now, according to Patrick Byrne, Butina's handler, it was an FBI agent. It was FBI agent, guess who, Peter Strzok, and he was given uh, giving Byrne instructions on where to send her. So you had Struck, Byrne, Patrick Byrne, and Maria Butina. Why is this all important? All of this context outlines the extent to which the, FB, the CIA was openly involved. Man, this makes me angry. Openly involved in constructing a political operation. That settled upon anyone near candidate President Donald Trump. If you were close to him, man, you were a target. You were his paper boy. I'm wondering if this paper boy wasn't, uh, you know, a target of CIA operations. International operations directed by the CIA and domestic operations uh, seemingly directed by Strzok. Peter Strzok operating with a foot in both the CIA and the FBI, okay? By the way, Strzok got a CIA service coin. Good for him. So let's let's recap this briefly. Mifsud is tasked against Papadopoulos, CIA operation. Helper is tasked against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, against CIA operation at this point. Page, CIA, Papadopoulos, CIA. Now you've got Azra Turk pretending to be help, uh, helper's assistant. He, she was tasked against Papadopoulos, working on behalf of the FBI. Veselnitskaya tasked against Donald Trump Jr., working tasked by the CIA and Fusion GPS and Butina against Trump and Donald Trump Jr., again, the FBI. Then you've got Christopher Steele, who was a British intelligence officer hired by Fusion GPS to assemble and launder fraudulent intelligence information with his dossier 
going back now. Now let's go right back. You heard all of that, that inside guts stuff, right? Now let's go back to what Devin Nunes says, what Lee Smith reported in his book. Now you've got Christopher Steele, a British intelligence officer hired by Fusion GPS. Again, hired by Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, to assemble, to gather, to launder fraudulent intelligence information, information they knew was false with, with, with his dossier. All right. Which wasn't his dossier anyway. It was, again, I go back to proto-dossiers because Fusion GPS had a whole bunch of these dossiers. And many of them written before July of 2016 when the FBI supposedly wanted the investigation against Donald Trump. This was opposition research, and then it became weaponized research by the intelligence agencies. And guess who was in the center of it? Nellie Orr, the red thread by Diana West. Heard right here on this platform months and months ago. So, why did I say all that? Oh, um, Steele was a British intelligence officer, okay, to launder, to, to do all this. Don't forget about Oleg Deripaska, this Russian oligarch. Now, Oleg Deripaska was mentioned in The Missing Man by Billy Meyer. Uh, is there a fire? Uh, should uh, My grandson just walked into the office or the studio. Um, and my daughter, Jackie, you want, you want to bring him over? Yeah. No, hi buddy. It's my grandson, Dean. Hi buddy. Come here. You come here. Come here. People want to see you. Come here. Come here. Come here, buddy. No, he's camera shy. He's got a giraffe. Can you hear him? Hi, Jackie. You're beautiful. All right. Um, I, I'm not sure where I was, but the bottom line is this. Oh, Oleg Deripaska. Um, Billy Meyer, missing man. Um, that's where I was. Don't forget Oleg Deripaska, this Russian oligarch who was recruited by McCabe to participate in running an operation against the Trump campaign and create the impression of Russian involvement. Deripaska refused to participate to his credit and I say that lightly, but okay. So all of this engagement directly controlled the U.S. intelligence, and all this is intended to give uh, a specific Russian impression. The predicate is presumably what John Durham is currently reviewing. In other words, the predicate that Dan Bongino talks about. What was the predicate? What caused the investigation of Donald Trump? And writes in the treehouse here, the key point of all, the back that background is just to show you and to show us how committed the intelligence community, the CIA, the FBI, were to creating this narrative of Russia interfering in the 2016 election. The CIA, the FBI, and by extension, the Department of Justice put a hell of a lot of work into it. The intelligence community work that Durham is now gradually taking apart. And I'm going to tell you, if I was Clapper, if I was Brennan, 
and even Comey, I'd be a little bit concerned. We know that Durham is looking specifically at the construct of the intelligence community assessment. Okay, the intelligence community. Just remember that intelligence community assessment. And talking to CIA analysts who participated in the construct of the January 2017 report that bolstered the false indication of Russian interference in the 2016 election. And this is important because it ties into this the following part that involves Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Remember, I started talking out about uh, tar- talking about Julian Assange, and I haven't even gotten to him yet. You needed that backstory. April 11th of this year, April 11th of 2019, Julian Assange, the Julian Assange indictment was unsealed. Did you know that? No, of course you did. From the indictment, we could see that it was under seal since March 6th of 2018. There was an indictment that was under seal. It was put under seal March 6th of 2018. It was unsealed on April 11th of 2019. That's this year. And it's... uh, uh, it's listed at uh, at the treehouse. Now, on Tuesday, April 15th, additional investigative material was released. Again, the dates, there was a, a reference to a grand jury December of 2017, which means the FBI investigation prior to all of this. The FBI investigation took place prior to December 2017. It was, okay, it was coordinated through the Eastern District of Virginia, where, by the way, the Assange indictment was sealed and unsealed. Where, by the way, Dana Bowente, the U.S. attorney at the time, it was U.S. attorney at the time, and the grand jury indictment was sealed from March of 2018 until after Mueller completed his investigation in April of 2019. It's the United States of America versus Julian Paul Assange. Boy, that's a hell of a lot of people. All right. The question becomes, why the delay? What was the Department of Justice waiting for? And here is where it gets interesting. Now, you needed all that background to kind of get to this. The FBI submission to the grand jury in December of 2017 was four months after Dana Rohrbacher, remember the Congressman Rohrbacher, talked to Julian Assange. That was back in August of 2017. Assange told a U.S. congressman, he can prove that the leaked Democratic Party documents did not come from Russia. Oh, we've heard this before. Remember, in August of 2017, John Solomon, writing for The Hill, he told a U.S. congressman, or uh, Julian Assange, wrote that Julian Assange told a U.S. congressman that the leaked Democratic Party documents he published during last year's election did not come from Russia and promised additional helpful information about the leaks in the near future. Dana Rohrbacher, a California California Republican who's friendly to Russia and shares an important House uh, subcommittee on Eurasia policy, became the first American congressman to meet with Assange. And it was a three-hour private meeting. Anyway, all right. Knowing how much effort, again, the CIA and FBI put into this Russia collusion conspiracy narrative, it would make sense for the FBI to take a very specific and keen interest after this August 2017 meeting between Rohrbacher and Assange. 
and why the FBI would quickly gather specific evidence related to WikiLeaks, Manning, and so on for a grand jury by 2017. Hurry up, we need to get this guy indicted and then put the indictment under seal. So within three months of the grand jury, the Department of Justice generated an indictment, sealed it in March of 2018. Eastern District of Virginia, remember Dana Buente, sat on it while the Mueller probe was ongoing. It was out of sight, out of mind. So as soon as the Mueller probe was done on April 11th, 2019, a planned and coordinated effort between the UK and the US was executed. Remember, Assange was over in the UK. Julian Assange was forcibly arrested and removed from the Ecuadorian embassy in London. The indictment from the Eastern District of Virginia was unsealed. So what do we have here? This timing against Assange is anything but coincidental. It doesn't take a it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to understand that the deep state motive to control Assange because the Mueller report was dependent on Russia, the Russian narrative, on Russian cyber crimes. The narrative is contingent on the Russia DNC hack story that Julian Assange says, no, no, that never happened. I can prove it never happened. This is so important. The Weissman-Mueller report, you know, the Mueller report is actually written by Andrew Weissman, contains claims that Russia hacked the, the DNC servers as a central element to Russia. The Russian interference in the U.S. election. It's disputed by WikiLeaks. It's disputed by Assange. No, it didn't happen. Dana Rohrbacher knows about this. The predicate for Robert Mueller's investigation was specifically due to Russian interference in the 2016 election. The fulcrum, as pointed out in CTH, for this Russian interference claim is the intelligence community assessment. And the only factual evidence claimed within the intelligence community assessment is that the Russia is that Russia hacked the DNC, uh, DNC servers a claim only made possible by relying on forensic computer analysis from CrowdStrike a, D, uh, CrowdStrike, a DNC contractor but guess what and guess what where where are the servers uh, Ukraine 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 All right, Julian Assange right now is the only person with direct knowledge of how WikiLeaks gained custody of the DNC emails. He was WikiLeaks. And Assange has claimed he has evidence it was not from a hack. You guys know this. The CIA holds a massive conflict of self-interest, uh, a massive conflict of, of interest self-interest in upholding the Russian hacking claim. The FBI holds a massive interest in maintaining that claim. You get the CIA over here saying, well, the CIA really has a massive conflict of self-interest in upholding the Russian hacking claims. The FBI holds a massive interest in maintaining that claim. All of the foreign countries whose intelligence apparatus participated with Brennan and Strzok also have a vested self-interest in maintaining that Russia hacked the servers, and this is all part of this narrative. 
This is why Julian Assange is like, oh my goodness, we, he knows. Assange knows. Julian Assange knows. This Russian hacking claim is so ultimately so important to the CIA, to the FBI, to the DOJ, to the ODNI, and to the UK, to the Five Eyes, and to, and to Schiff, and everyone else. There's motive to shut Assange down as soon as intelligence officials knew that Mueller report was going to be made public. So now if we know this, and you know this, if I know this, and Eric the Tech knows this, and Lady the Studio Dog know this, and everything is cited and factual, you can damn well bet Bill Barr knows this. The big question is, will they say so publicly? There's where the CTH article ends. Ukraine. You, you get in the picture with Ukraine. I wonder if I wonder if Assange holding such proof is the only thing that's really keeping him vertical. I don't know. I don't know. But you gotta know the DNC hack wasn't a hack, the DNC server, it was a transfer. And at the epicenter of that transfer was go ahead, say his name, you're allowed, Seth Rich. Apparently you're not allowed apparently you're not allowed to say Seth Rich. I mean Alex Jones says Seth Rich and or uh, Sean Hannity says Seth Rich and lawsuits go a flying, don't they? All right, there's a mountain of public evidence and public incriminations right now. I could go on and on and on. We're fighting a Marxist takeover, a Marxist coup of our country at the hands of a weaponized intelligence agency. It's you and me. We're fighting this. Or we're, we're taking incoming. President Trump is the only thing that's keeping us from them i hope that made sense to you folks thank you so much for tuning in may god bless each and every one of you thank you have a great night and see you tomorrow